Good morning to you. Good morning. I am glad we kept the church open. You know, we were closed for a few months, weren't we? And that was hard. You know, I missed you those three months. Suri and Lorraine and I would come in here and we'd do these videos, but it's not the same to stand up here and speak to two people. And they're recording, you know. But it's nice to see a, a full church. And uh, it, it is important, isn't it, to be together. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, you, you're the one that created family. And we're just so thankful that you did. It wasn't good that Adam would be alone. We are social beings. And you made us to be with one another. So thank you, Father, for protecting our place here. And uh, we ask that you continue to grace us with your presence in this service. And be be with us throughout the rest of the Sabbath day. And we just want to thank you for your ever-watch care over each one of us. And we give you thanks. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So our sermon today is the purpose of God's, the purpose of our creation. And it can be simply said in this verse that Robbie read, Isaiah 43, 7, I have created him for God created us for his glory. God created us to enjoy us. That somehow in creating us, he would be glorified. Not just making us, but the way we would live and the way we would think and the way we'd see people and treat people, all of it would do what? It would give glory to God. That's the purpose. Now, of course, for that to take place, God would have to make this beautiful world for us, right? For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it, he created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. You know, when we think that God created us for his glory, he would have had to create a beautiful world for us to do that. I mean, this isn't a desolate world. He didn't create a desolate world. Because how would he glorify himself and how could we glorify him, right? If this world was just so torn apart and full of destruction and disease and so forth. So God had to make a perfect world and perfect beings so that... He could be glorified, right? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him means for his glory. Everything he created was for his glory, not just us. Everything in this world was for his glory. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. That means all physical things were for his, for his glory. All living things, the fish, the birds, everything for his glory. All the order of angels and other intelligent beings. There's high angels and angels in lower ranks, all for his glory. The laws of nature, gravity, all these are for his glory. The Ten Commandments. They're not a restraint on us. They're all for his glory because when we keep them, we're glorifying him. But it's not just the moral laws. It's also God's health laws. They were all made for his glory. 
God's provided everything for us. Our Father in heaven is the source of life, of wisdom, and of joy. Look at the wonderful and beautiful things of nature. Think of their marvelous, marvelous adaptation, how everything works together. It's like it all belongs together. To the needs and happiness, not only of man, but of all living creatures. It is God who supplies the daily needs of all his creatures. So for us to glorify God, he supplies all that we need. But he also made everything for our joy and our, God wants you to be happy. And he created all these things for us to be happy because in us being happy, we're able to give glory to God. Is this right? And he, he meets all our needs to give him glory. And we look at this just for our food. And God said, behold, I've given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of the earth, every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to it shall be for meat or for food. God has provided everything we need for our necessities, for our happiness. And we receive these things for the very purpose. Why do we receive all these things? Why do we eat? To? Doesn't the Bible say whatever you eat or drink or do all to the? Right. No matter. You have a brain to think. Why do you think? To give glory to God. Isn't that right? So let your thoughts be something that would glorify God. Don't have wrong thoughts. Don't have those wrong feelings. You do everything about you is to give glory to God. Everything around you is for the glory of God. But man has taken all these things to glorify himself. That's the problem. That's the problem. The problem is who's being glorified. Jesus came that we might have life and have it what? That's why he came. He didn't come here to take anything away from you. Not anything that would make you healthy and happy. An abundant life would refer to a life that is full of joy and is prosperous and health. Physically, mentally, spiritually. Is this true? That God wants you to be healthy mentally, physically, spiritually, so that you can give glory to God. Right? To give glory to God. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospers, simply so you can give glory to God. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all of his benefits who forgiveth all thy iniquities, who healeth thy diseases, who remembereth thy life from destruction, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. God does all these things so that we can be happy and healthy, so that we can glorify him. But look at the list. One of the ways we glorify God is by never forgetting his, his benefits. All the ways God has already blessed us, how he takes care of us. One of the best ways to glorify God is just never forget how God has already been with you and been in your life. Is this true? How God has forgiven you of all your sins. Because how else could we be happy and healthy if we're not forgiven? There's a lot of people in a lot of poor mental state because they're so guilt-ridden. But God wants you happy, he wants you healthy, and that's why he's willing to forgive even all your sins, even the deliberate ones. Even when you did wrong, you knew it was wrong before you did, and you did it anyway, and it isn't it good that we have a God who's willing to forgive you of those things too? Because he wants you to be healthy, he wants you to be happy, he made you to glorify him. 
He heals us of our diseases. He does that in part through having given us an immune system. But he also gave us laws of health. Because part of way of redeeming him is that God has set us forth in the world to help do what to people? To heal people. Because it's part of health and happiness. It's part of the way that we're able to glorify God. Redeemed us from destruction. Destruction, not just from without. Are there things that would destroy your happiness, destroy your health on the outside? Absolutely. God wants you to redeem you from them. But what about things on the inside? Can he redeem us, protect us from anything that's destructive from within? You know, if we've had bad thoughts, that's all recorded up here. Hateful thoughts. It's all up here. You know what I need God to do? I need him to redeem me from destroying myself by having those same thoughts, by having those same feelings, right? Those same habits. So God, part of how he makes us have life more abundant, he forgives us of our sins, he redeems us from all these destructives, and he crowns with love, a crown you put on your... And that's how you have an ennobled mind. First is through knowing that you are, you're loved. You know, that's really the beginning of the healing of the mind is to know and to believe with all your heart that God what? He loves you. God loves you. And that's how he crowns us, you know, with love. Now, in all these previous ones, we we didn't just talk about and notice that God wants to heal us morally. He also wants to heal us physically. He wants to help us mentally. So what does he tell us to do? What's God's disciples to do? Jesus says to his disciples, as you go, preach, saying the what? Kingdom of heaven is at hand. Preach the gospel and heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. And part of the purpose of my sermon is this. We cannot just be a church that tells people to keep the Sabbath. Because life is about people being physically, mentally, and spiritually healthy. There are more than one set of laws. There's not just the Ten Commandments. Right? There are other laws. And God has sent us into the world, not talk about one law out of ten. And not even just about the Ten Commandments. We live in a suffering world, and God has raised up a people to help people be happy and healthy so that they can do what? They can give glory to God. You see, I know part of the Sabbath school, I only heard the end of it, you know. Sometimes we have a Sunday law coming, and we feel like we're, we, you know, we're just kind of like paralyzed from fear of being persecuted. But we shouldn't be thinking that way at all. We should only be thinking about how people can give glory to God. And you just begin where people are. Maybe they need to hear about the health laws first. Maybe you start with the moral law. Maybe you start with something else. But wherever you got to start, there's a beginning to help people do what? Glorify God in their life. Because if you do that kind of work, you're on the right road. And if you help people doing that, that's because you've made the decision to do that. Does that make sense? We don't need to be a people, we, don't, we, we can't become seventh-day survivalists worrying about what's going to happen to us. 
We've got a work to do to help build people up, not worry about what they're going to do to us, okay? Now, where do we begin? Well, obviously, you've got to begin with the Spirit, right? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, the gift of the Holy Ghost isn't that, well, I just received the Spirit. It's the gift of the Holy Ghost, right? And along with that comes a lot of precious things. And the first thing we need is what? We need to individually begin with ourselves and receive in the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit. When we give our sins to Christ, He takes them. But He gives us something for them. If I give my sins to Christ, He'll give me the Holy Spirit in return. Forgiveness. He gives us something for those sins. Forgiveness. I give Him my sins. He gives me His Spirit. But why does he give me his spirit? Just to be forgiven? No. He gives me the spirit so that I can have the what? The fruit of the spirit. Is that right? He gives me the fruit of the spirit, not just to be a forgiven person, but to be a person who has love and joy and peace. And the more spirit you have, the more love you have. Jesus says, blessed are they that are filled, right? Filled with what? Filled with the Spirit. You don't want a little bit of love in your life. You want to be filled with love. You want to be filled with mercy. You want to be not a little gentle. You want to be filled with gentleness. Because after all, you were created and made to give glory to God. And we don't give glory to God by being a a little nice. We give glory to God because day by day we're becoming more loving, more merciful, more long-suffering, more gentle. Is this true? And this is why this is where we have to begin individually. To become that vessel that is a reflection of the very life of Jesus Christ. That's where we all have to begin. We begin with ourselves. And when you're filled with the Spirit and you have the fruit of the Spirit, then He's going to give you the the gifts of the Spirit. God's not going to give you the spirit of prophecy if you don't have love. Right? If we don't have the fruit of the Spirit, why would He give me the gift of tongues? If I didn't have the fruit of the Spirit, why would I have the gift of faith? Right? We begin with the fruit of the Spirit, and every day, every one of us can become more loving. Is this true? And if you become more loving and more merciful and more long-suffering, God will give you more of the gifts of the Spirit. Does that make sense? Because now He can entrust you with those gifts. You put the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit together, and you've got a movement that the devil can't stop. So it tells us what our focus should be. While all these things are happening around the world, our focus should be, I've got to begin with myself in the morning. I've got to make sure that I've increased my faith, added to my faith. I'm more like Jesus. And then, God, please bring something in my life, some gift of the Spirit where I can be a blessing to someone else. You know, God's going to take care of all this stuff happening in the world, right? But how does he take care of it? 
He's not influencing people how to vote in Congress. He doesn't take care of it that way. He takes care of it by having a people in the world who have the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. That's how he deals with sin in this world. That's how he deals with every bad political decision. He says, you know, the way I'm going to counteract the evil is a people. And when those people have reached enough people, then I'm going to come back. When everybody's made a decision, when everything is mature. Does this make sense? And the gifts of the spirits, they're really not for you. I don't pray for the gift to teach for me. I would pray for the gift to teach for others. You begin with yourself to receive the fruit, but you pray for the gift to be a blessing to somebody else. Right? So what's he tell us to do? All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and do what? Teach. Teach all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. I remember this phrase by Ellen White. She tells us to go out and educate, educate, educate. If I use swimming as an example, I can tell you how to swim. You know, you've you got to keep your head above the water and you've got to kind of flap your arms around. Or, educate level two, I can jump in the water and I can show you how to swim. See the difference? I can just tell you how to swim or I can show you how to swim. But level number three, I'm going to jump in the water and I'm going to help you learn how to swim. You see, until we reach level number three, we're still here just educating by just telling people the truth. But if we just tell people the truth, we're not going home. We've got to be an example and live the truth and then help people. I remember there was this guy when we helped raise up this church in Wisconsin, and, and uh, Ray was, a, was smoking and so forth. And, and I just told him, I says, Ray, when you're ready, I want to be there to help you. I didn't get in his face and said you had to quit. He knew he needed to quit. All I needed to say, I'm there for you. When you're ready, we'll go through a program. And you will overcome smoking. You just got to be there for people. And this is why we want to increase our abilities. This is why we need the gifts of the Spirit, so that when people are ready to make that decision for themselves, you're there for them. True religion brings man into harmony with one law, or how many? All of them. Laws, plural. Laws of God, physical, mental, moral. True religion is not just talking about the Sabbath and the moral law. True religion brings in the health laws, the physical laws, everything that has to do with the whole person, their physical being, their mental state, and their spiritual being. That's true religion. It's when we take an interest in the whole person. That's why God raised us up as a church, right? To restore the image of his maker, to bring him back to the perfection in which he was created, to promote the development of body, mind, and soul, that the divine purpose in his creation might be realized. This was to be the work of what? Redemption. 
The work of redemption is to help everybody to glorify God in their body, mind, and soul. And that means we can't focus on one thing. We really have to focus on three things, don't we? All our enjoyment or suffering may be traced to obedience or transgression of natural law. To make plain natural law and urge obedience to it is the work that accompanies the third angel's message, to prepare a people for the coming of the Lord. So we've been trying to preach the third angel's message and preach and preach and preach, but without helping people to overcome the tendencies to destroy themselves physically, we're not going to receive the power we need to finish this work. We really have to take an interest in everything about people. Do you know people who are suffering physically? That's an open door, isn't it? That's where you start. You know people are going through depression right now? People lost their jobs? You have an open door there? Absolutely. Talk about their mental health. Spiritually? You know people suffering spiritually? Absolutely. They don't know Jesus yet? You know, there's three great opportunities to just to meet someone. Because somewhere, somewhere along the line, people are needing one of these three things, right? So the message of restoration, and this is, I think, what God has given us, is we do need to talk about the Creator because with evolution, there's really no moral laws, is there? I mean, there's physical laws, but there's really, there's really no sense of right and wrong. So people have to believe that there is a God who designed everything for our happiness and our needs, right? And it wasn't even just for us in that statement, even God for the animals, the trees, the grass, everything was even created for the dogs and the cats and everything else to enjoy his creation, not just us. But then there's the moral laws. There's the moral law, the seventh-day Sabbath is in the moral laws, and the health laws, we have rest, which points to the Sabbath. But you know what I found interesting about physical laws? This book, right now, I could say is at rest. If I put a little pressure on it, it's not at rest anymore, is it? But this is what's interesting about our universe. Do you know in our universe, as far as bodies, there's nothing at rest. Our earth is rotating right now. You don't feel it. You're at rest, but we're moving. And the moon is moving around us. It's orbiting around us. And yet God talks about rest. And we orbit our sun. And yet God says, you still need rest. And our solar system rotates around the core of the Milky Way galaxy. And yet God says, you know, people, intelligent beings, not objects, People need what? They need rest. While everything in the universe is moving. And our galaxy is revolving around some other kind of center. Something far beyond what we can know. There is nothing. Even God's throne moves. And one day it will be, it will be here. All of heaven is in movement right now. Because people are lost. And yet... As we think about all these bodies moving, he says, for intelligent beings, you do need rest. You've got to stop moving. And on the seventh day, just know that I'm God. Don't, everything else is moving in the universe, but you just take a time out. And you think about all these things that are moving, 
and realize that who's in control of all those things? God is. He keeps them all in their perfect order while you're sitting. Because the difference is he's God and we're creatures. That's why we keep the Sabbath. He keeps it all moving in its perfect order because he's God. But he says, the reason you need a Sabbath is so that you never start thinking that you are God. You need to rest. And you do need to realize that without me, you can do nothing. Is this right? It's one of the lessons of the Sabbath. While everything's moving, we rest. We need a redeemer. We need a redeemer to redeem us from the transgression of God's moral and health laws. And our redeemer is also our creator. So the work of redemption really ultimately is the work of creation, isn't it? He recreates us. And our duty is we were created to glorify God and we glorify God by obeying his moral laws, his health laws. And the Sabbath is ever the sign that distinguishes the obedient from the disobedient. The Sabbath is a sign that you choose to be obedient to not just one law, all the laws. Is this right? All the laws. But here's the conflict. In the end, Satan will declare that the Sabbath's been changed to Sunday. He will appear to heal the sick without any obedience on their part to laws of God. And men are conditioned to believe they do not need to obey to be saved morally or physically. Now, I'm not for or against a vaccine, but here's the thing. If people think they're going to be saved health-wise without doing anything for themselves, is this good or bad? It actually is a bad thing to think that I don't have to change, I don't have to obey the laws of health, all I need is a little shot in the arm, is not a good thing. Because what that makes people begin to believe, they don't have to do anything morally either. And they'll still be what? Saved. They think that, they'll still, they'll, that they'll be saved without even doing anything, without any obedience. But all that's wrong. Which is exactly why we as a people have to get out there and not just talk about the health, moral law, but the, I just gave it away, health laws, right? Yeah, I can't keep a secret. You know, the health laws, right? Because when you tell people, when we teach people all the laws, then they realize they have to make choices. They realize that there's benefits by loving obedience to God. Is that what they need? Why do they need to know that? So they can what? Glorify God. How is this world going to glorify God if nobody has to obey anything? If all you need is a shot. If all you need is to be forgiven. And this is where we've got to take a stand and tell people, and not publicly before against these things, these facts, but just say, you know, God's the creator. He gave you an immune system. And if you honor God, he will honor your choices to honor him. Right? We have to, friends. We're going to have to. And I know we just sent out something on prophecy. But you know what we need to also do? We have to send something out on the eight laws of health. And they need to know it comes from this church. Because it is important that people can make a connection between obedience and blessing. Following laws or not following laws. Do you agree? 
Absolutely. They will perform wonderful miracles of healing and will profess to have revelations from heaven contradicting the testimony of the scriptures. As a crowning act in the great drama of deception, Satan himself will impersonate Christ. The great deceiver will make it appear that Christ has come. The shout of, listen to that statement, the shout of triumph rings out upon the air. Wow, this isn't that far from here, people. We're not long, and all of a sudden, in this city, in the cities across the world, people are going to shout, Christ has, has come. He heals the diseases of the people without them doing what? Obeying the laws of health. No obedience. And then in his assumed character of Christ, he claims to have changed the Sabbath of Sunday. The commands and commands all to hallow the day which he has blessed. This is a strong overmastering delusion because some people are going to get healed because he'll he'll throw a disease on them. He'll make them feel like they're sick, lift it away without them doing making one decision. That's a deception. And then you pass Sunday, and someone says, "You mean the only thing I have to do is just go to what? Go to church on Sunday, and that's it." You see the deception? There's no decision-making being made by people. It's been made so easy for them. Just get your shot. Just go to church on Sunday, and you'll be saved. And yet, in reality, what has to happen to this human heart? All the rebellion needs to come out, right? Rebellion against God's laws, plural, where we say no Harmony in the universe comes by loving obedience to God. And that's why you keep the Sabbath. Because everything you do, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, you do specifically for the glory of God. The disease. He had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak, cause as many would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. That's the disease. I mean, we talk about COVID. But this is way worse than COVID. This is a disease of the mind. This is a spiritual disease that COVID just is just nothing. The disease of the mind where people think that if they pass a day and if others don't keep it, they ought to be killed. And I'll tell you, friends, that's being pretty sick. But there's a miracle that's going to be taking place. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, in which not, did not worship the beast, neither his image, neither receive his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And friends, there may be a, a miracle of vaccine for COVID, but it's nothing compared to a group of people who in the face of not being able to buy and sell, whose very life is being threatened, who choose not to worship the image of the beast, who choose not to make and receive the market. That, my friends, will be the greatest miracle in these last days. And this is what the whole issue is over. Isn't it? But all miracles come from above. We can't heal ourselves, But we can be healed every day as you and I receive the fruit of the Spirit. If you and I are daily receiving the fruit of the Spirit, are we more likely to be faithful to God all the way through the end? And then if you choose to receive the gifts of the Spirit and make available yourself for service, are you more likely to remain faithful to the end? Absolutely. 
But if you don't have the fruit, and you don't have the gift, and you don't make yourself available for service, which is where a lot of SDAs are, many people are going to leave this church because they haven't been exercised in their faith. They haven't been getting healed physically, mentally, spiritually. And friends, this is a life and death issue. There's nothing to laugh off. It's nothing to put off. Every day, friends, we need the fruit of the Spirit. And we need to make our available selves available for service. Because we don't have that many days left. Things are fast fulfilling. And we've got to make sure we don't get caught up into so many things that ultimately have nothing to do with your eternal salvation. This is basically my last one here. The ultimate aim of true education. Because he said, teach all nations. Educate, educate, educate. The ultimate aim of true education is the restoration of the image of God in the human being. And here are some chief elements that I put up there. And, and what I have after this, which will be another sermon, is, is laws that govern the mind, mental health. Because we've got to talk to people about physical health, the body, mental health, the mind, and spiritual health, the, the spirit of man, the Ten Commandments. But notice these elements of education. We can't just tell people the truth. It's more than that. People need to know that a personal and experiential relationship with God is necessary to be part of true education. We can't just have people come into this church who just simply have a right set of doctrines. People, we all need to have an experiential relationship with Jesus Christ. Number two, learning the true force of the will, uh, the power of choice, which Ron preached not that long ago, right? You have the power of choice. What are the things that you can do in your life where you're more likely to exercise it for good? Because there's things we can do that weaken our power of choice where we would not choose to do the right, right? There's things that you could do physically. Drinking enough water encourages you to make right decisions because when you're dehydrated, you get fatigued. And when you feel fatigued, you're more likely just to give in. But if you keep hydrated, you see, that's just one law, right? Getting fresh air. Got to get out and get some fresh air. You make fresh air, you're going to make better decisions. Learning to express love and unselfish acts of kindness every day. Because that's part of the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love. Being more loving every day. Embrace the responsibility of individuality. And this one is, is a little bit broader and in, in other than just you as an individual, but simply respecting the fact that everybody else is an individual too. And every individual has to be able to make up their own mind of how they're going to spend their time and spend their money, what they're going to research, what becomes important to them in life. But hopefully we can talk about spiritual things in such a way that everybody wants to know more about Jesus, but that doesn't mean everybody's reading the same book. But we're all drawn to the same Lord, right? Learning to treat others with respect and patience and depend upon God to obey his perfect will as expressed in those moral 
and health laws. This is all just components of true education. And as I said, we would then maybe next time talk about the laws that govern the mind. And there would be a lot of them. There are things that we need to keep in mind to have a healthy mind that's going to help us make better decisions. Okay, be more consistent in our life. 